And I think there are many people here who uh, would be fantastic about doing that. Um, I, I just, at the end of the day, after asking people, I just decided not to do that because I just didn't want, I feel like if there was somebody I asked to do it, they would feel pressure to do it. And I really wanted everybody who's in this stage to, to just be able to be here and, and listen and be loved on and not be singled out as, here's the single who's doing it really well. You know, it just, I just decided, I know, I know there might be a part of you that says, how can three married people talk to you about singleness? Um, and so what I did was I chose two people who I felt like um, struggled in singleness, but struggled really well in singleness. So neither of them have the, I did not choose uh, the Sandy Wilson story where I met my wife in ninth grade and you know, we've been married ever since. I didn't choose that person. I chose people who wrestled with some of this stuff and wrestled with them well. Andy Longwe is, um, is our missions partner in Scotland. He is an ordained minister in the Free Church of Scotland. Um, still unmarried, but that changes in April, Lord willing. He's engaged to be married. Uh, Marina, is, oh, Marina is here. Marina, will you stand? Sorry. That's Marina. Um, uh, so I'm going in April to do their wedding, in April, uh, to do their wedding, and uh, I, get to do, I get to do a wedding in Scotland, and I uh, will be wearing a kilt to do the wedding. And uh, they have informed me that if I'm a true Scottish man, I will wear nothing under the kilt. And I have informed them that uh, I'm not a true Scottish man. <laughs> it's true, though. No, that's what they do. Anyway, uh, Abby's like, stop talking. <laughs> I see you. Um, all right. Andy's a very, very gifted minister of the Lord. Um, you'll get to hear him preach, not this Sunday I'm preaching tomorrow, but next Sunday he'll be preaching. Um, you, so you'll get to hear him. A very, very gifted preacher glad mission partner, good friend, um, but has a single story that, that I'd love for him to share. Allison Gordon um, is a, a professor at the University of Kentucky, married to Stephen. Stephen, please stand. There's Stephen. Yes, yes. Um, Allison is one of the, I told you that Abby and I uh, just kind of, we didn't like intentionally do this, but but we have all boys, um, we're raising four boys, and so it just kind of worked out to where um, organically the Lord would bring um, ladies into our lives who are single and struggling, and uh, we would just invite them to be a part of our family. Sometimes they even do move in to our house, um, and Allison was one of those. Uh, Allison, um, how, how old were you when you got married? 33. 33. So she got married at 33, later um, than normal, and um, but uh, did singleness well, but struggled with singleness. And I'm going to let her talk a little bit about that, um, this side of it. So, um, Andy, why don't you start? Uh, what I told them is I said, give us, give us just a few minutes. They just heard my talk. Maybe if something resonated with you, kind of use that to share your story. I'm going to let them share just a little bit, and then I might follow up with some questions, and then we'll answer your questions. Great. Thank you. Um, if I can preface it with this, I think that's the best singleness talk I've heard, not just from a married man, but from a man who deeply has wrestled with it and thought about it. So thank you so much yeah. for serving us so well today. Um, so I, I came to know the Lord Jesus when I was 17 years old, and uh, from that point onward, grew in a knowledge and understanding. 
and had a longing to, to love him and serve him. But let me fast forward to when I was in seminary. When I was in seminary, the, the, the myth number one, you need marriage to complete you, was the marriage became the idolatry when I was in seminary. Every church I would preach in, the constant question was, are you married? Are you engaged? And it would give me that angst and wrestle of no. Um, and, and it just would open up insecurities. And so that, that led to uh, a struggle and a tension. The other thing that happened whilst I was at seminary was a lot of the friends I started to, uh, br- brothers in Christ, who I knew were same-sex, had same-sex attraction problems, or that was a wrestle, not problems in that sense, but they really struggled with it. They didn't want to come out and they would talk about, I just can't imagine a life of celibacy. And let's talk about it and help um, um, let's think about it and pray about it. And I, I remember that um, really forcing me to, to, to think about really Sam Albury's quote there where you said, um, marriage reveals the shape of the gospel, singleness reveals the sufficiency of the gospel. And I used to hear people say, oh, you're single, um, don't worry, you've got Christ and he'll provide someone soon. And as if that was trivial. Mm-hmm. But union in Christ is everything and it is beautiful but because we are sinful and often have fickle minds we need the time to contemplate that and enjoy that and go deep in that and we need brothers and sisters in Christ to help us with that and I found that it was the same sex attracted friends who helped me do that best mm-hmm. Sam Albury who you mentioned Vaughan Roberts have written a few books um, I think Jackie Hill Perry who's in the States but I just want to commend them for this reason, and this is, it resonated when you were chatting about thinking about helping our same-sex brothers and sisters in Christ. Vaughan Roberts is a pastor of an Anglican church in Oxford, and he's written a book on true friendship, and it's no mistake that he's written that book. He's a minister who struggles with same-sex attraction, and he's committed to a lifelong celibacy. But he says that the, the, the gift that he discovers is true friendship. And that's something we've lost today in our evangelical culture. So that's number one. Sam. Let me, let me because your accent here. Sorry. S- let me make sure, because I yeah. do want you all to get, these, get into these people. Um, so uh, a couple guys who are doing this. Honestly, if you were to ask, okay, where can I get good books on singleness and how to do single life? I, I, would, inc- I, would, I would commend what these guys are putting out, it, 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 it's speaking to the same-sex attraction, but, it, but this celibacy stuff is, is, is the same. Um, so Sam Albury, um, A-L-L-B-E-R-Y, and he gave a three-minute profound sermon that, or message before the, uh, the, the, who was it before? The Church of England Church Synod. Of, yep. Synod, but it's on YouTube. It's incredible. Just like three-minute little speech. But what he's written... And um, Von Roberts, yeah, um, is there. And then who's the guy? Um, Sam Shaw. Sam Shaw. Yep. What's that book? It, that's the best. Uh, um, the, it, it's the, the subtitle is the, the surprising the plausibility of celibate life. Yeah. Okay. Sa- same sex. Same sex attraction in the church or something like that. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, these guys are they're 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 really good at that. So anyway. Yeah. So this. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I just want to commend them. Then moving on, part of my story is, so when I was in seminary, I had the 
the, the idol of marriage, perhaps, in my heart. I, I met a girl, um, a, a godly, gifted, able girl in the same church I was in, and we got engaged. Uh, we, we started dating, and then we got engaged. And uh, uh, she was a great friend, a really gifted sister in Christ, uh, who I loved dearly. And a bit, I, I suppose, in hindsight, looking back, we had a, a beautiful friendship. But one of the, the drivers was I was desperate to get married because I felt incomplete. And uh, we, so whilst we were engaged, I was uh, working for a church and finishing off a master's degree. She was in London uh, working in a bank and she got offered, uh, she got a phone call once uh, from a friend who said, I'm stepping down as a politician, a member of parliament, and I want you to stand for me, stand in my place. And so this is four months, six months away from the wedding. And so we have to have this discussion. And um, I was, at the same time, I'd just been asked to preach in a few churches, including the church I'm in right now, Cumbernauld, to become the pastor. And so they were calling me, inviting me to become their pastor. And so we had this huge wrestle. What are we going to do? She's been asked to be a politician in the Highlands of Scotland. And, I, and so we, we wrestled this. And it was difficult, it was hard, it was messy, it was ugly. And uh, I spoke with her father, I spoke with her long and hard, and uh, I then said, I don't think we can go through with this. And so I cut, we, we broke off the wedding. And at that time, I, I wanted it to be a mutual thing, where, where I said, I'll take the lead on this, I'm ending this, but uh, it's because I think that God's raising you up to be a politician, and and uh, God was calling me to be a pastor and she really struggled with that and I hurt her and so uh, that was a huge struggle and God over the next weeks and months was going to do a, a work in me to expose the idolatry of marriage and also uh, to, to do work in terms of reconciliation and in God's sweet providence to show me that Jesus is enough uh, and, and even in the valley and the, and the pain and the difficulty, he, I, I was called to become the pastor in Cumbernauld. I was given a manse, that's a, a minister's house with five bedrooms. And uh, Sandy mentioned Dietrich Bonhoeffer the other night there about a brotherhood that he had. And I, I filled uh, all the bedrooms in the manse with brothers in Christ who wanted to come on board and serve in ministry in a, a housing project. And I, I was going to learn another great lesson about friendship, true friendship, and men who would help me uh, discover the beauty and the sufficiency of Christ. And one of them was actually Kerrick, because he came for six weeks. But yeah. uh, One thing he said there that, that I, was in my talk, and I, I cut it when I got going really fast there, um, is friendship. We fail to appreciate how deep how we, we trivialize the idea of friendship and how how deep it is and how real it is and how you can be a fully satisfied human being existing in friendship um, and, and the reason I say this and we'll get there when we get to John 15 or if you go to rapid run um, we're going through John uh, the upper room discourse and in John 15 what he holds up as the highest relationship of love is friendship he calls them friends he calls them to lay down their lives for their friends. Friendship is no small thing, and it is deeply satisfying if done well. Thanks. All right, Allison. All right. Um, so I 
uh, went to Wheaton College, which is a Christian college, and I would never have admitted it, but I went hoping that I would meet my future husband there. If you had told me when I was a freshman at orientation that I would graduate without a boyfriend or without a fiance, I would have been pretty disappointed. Um, and if you had told me that I wouldn't be getting married for, what was it? 12 years after graduating, I would have just cried my eyes out. I would have just thought, this is just the fate worse than death. Um, I do not want to be that girl. I read Lady in Waiting at, in college. I was, I did the study. I did the small group, you know, discussion guide. Um, now, are you reading Raising a Lady in Waiting? <laughs> no, no. Oh, man. Um, so I just didn't see it coming, to be honest. And um, I think that... I probably had both the shame and the faux strength, but what I presented to people became more and more the faux strength. And I kind of took on the, I don't need to get married. I'm happy being single. I, I love my life. Things are going well. And I think that I wasn't honest with myself about the difficulties of the single life. I kind of wanted to just show that it, it was okay and I was in grad school. I didn't have time. I told myself to have a committed relationship like that. And um, so I kind of moved in and out of that faux strength and it kind of became this cycle of, um, I, I was telling myself that and I made that part of my identity and then it became harder to let that go. It became harder to admit that I actually wanted to be married. And so, um, I kind of, I think I hardened, I hardened in my singleness and even though it was something I desperately wanted, I hated about myself that I desperately wanted it. And so... Um, I think God really got a hold of me when I moved here to Lexington. I mean, I just am so grateful for the counseling that I got, the friendships I developed. He started to chip away at that hardness. And one of the ways that he did it was I had an, another friend in the church um, who was single, and she was a little older than I was. And she said, oh, I just read this great book. You know, you should get this book. It's for, you know, written by a single girl, you know, about singleness. And I thought, oh, gag me with a chainsaw. I cannot read another book about being a single lady. I don't need the book about being single. Um, but I begrudgingly ordered it on Amazon. I got the book. I was like flipping through it. I was like, I'm not even going to read it, you know, cover to cover. I'll just see what I see. And I flipped to this passage um, where she, it was kind of like vignettes or thoughts on life. And it was this um, passage where she talked about um, how a man who came to preach at her church, I don't know even all the details, but basically an older Christian man said to the author of this book who was a single lady, um, you've suffered a great deal in your singleness, haven't you? And how that was really impactful for her and she thought about singleness as suffering and she had this whole you know, little essay on singleness as suffering. And I read it right before I went to bed. I remember putting the book on the book stand turning out the light. Oh man, it, it brings me back. And I thought, hmm, singleness is suffering. I'll have to think about that. That's, I've never thought about singleness is suffering. I didn't have a talk like this. <laughs> I was reading Lady in Waiting, so it didn't, <laughs> didn't occur to me that singleness could be a suffering. Um, and I turned out the light and I put my head on my pillow and I burst into tears and I didn't even see it coming. I just thought, I'm surprised by my emotion about this. Um, and it really resonated with something deep in me. You know, the singleness is suffering. Um, so I think that was the beginning of God kind of chipping away at some of the bitterness and the hardness I had developed. And um, I think another kind of thing that I remember as being significant is I started to let people in and I started to share with them, my good friends, Abby and Robert especially walked through this with me and I started to just admit that, you know, singleness was hard and um, that it was painful even though I also enjoyed obviously the giftings of it. I mean, the, there's no denying um, that there's some really good things about it. So um, I think that a real watershed moment for me was um, I was 
over at their house just having dinner one night and Macklin was there because he was in town. And we were all just sitting around talking. It was not a serious time. I had my dog and I was, you know, holding my dog in my lap, letting my dog look my face. Macklin couldn't believe it because that's not how they treat dogs in Togo. They eat dogs in Togo. And so he was just like, we were talking a lot about the dog. And right before I left, um, just casually, Macklin said, you know, how can I pray for you? And it felt like the world stopped because I had this moment, it felt like a crossroads. And I felt like I could either say to him, like I started composing my answer in my mind and saying, well, you know, Macklin, you know, pray for me. I'm on the University of Kentucky campus. It's a dark, dark place, you know. We're both on the mission field. Um, uh, and I, like, had that answer in my mind, you know, thinking that's where I would go. And instead, I just, I chose to just say what was really on my heart. I said, Macklin, please pray that God sends me a husband. And um, it brings me back. Um, and I just burst into tears again, and it felt like, you know, choosing truth, choosing what was real, choosing to live in the tension of wanting something, hoping for something, and not having it, you know, that tension between reality and what you hope for, and, you know, you can either kill your hope um, and squash that and say, I don't need a husband, I don't hope for a husband, or you can, you know, live in idolatry and say, you know, I, um, that's going to solve all my problems, but it's just really painful to be in the tension and, and have no way out. So anyways, Macklin prayed for me in French. I have no idea what he prayed. <laughs> I was weeping the whole time. And I don't actually remember this, but I, I, I mean, I remember it now that I, um, Abby's the one who had to remind me that he said this, but when we were done praying, I was sobbing. Leo's licking my tears, my dog. And... Macklin said, you know, when I, re he said, Allison, when I return in a year, you'll know your husband. And I think, I don't, I think that that didn't register with me because it was too much to hope for. You know, it really made me identify with Sarah in the Old Testament when the angels say you'll have a son in a year and she laughs. I think that that was kind of my response. It wasn't that I didn't believe him. I literally just didn't have a category for that because it felt too painful to hope for something and then have that dashed again. Because I was the girl who, you know, just wasn't getting asked out. I mean, it just, it just didn't, it felt like God was going to literally have to drop someone from heaven. But sure enough, um, a year later, Macklin came again, you know, as part of his tour of the U.S. And I went to lunch with him and Stephen, the guy that I was marrying in a month, you know, from then. I had ended up meeting Stephen later that year and we got engaged and we got married. And, you know, that's, that's a nice story. It's not going to be how it is for everybody. But I think for me, it's a really sweet reminder of um, how God, it's just what you said, God uses all kinds of things to get us to him, to get us to a place where we're the real us talking to the real him. And I think for me, part of that was um, laying down the pride and laying down the, the edge and the hardness um, of, um, of the single, of being, being an unmarried person and, um, and, and I don't know, he softened me to himself, you know, and I think that he, he used singleness to do it and now he's using marriage. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I love Allison's story and I'm, I'm so glad y'all got to hear it. And, um, and I, I do, I love that she said, you know, that may not be how it works. Um, you know, you, you, the application of her story is not Okay, I gotta lay down my pride and go have Robert pray that I'll have a husband, I'll have a husband in a year. Um, it doesn't, it, that's not the point. The point is this, is that she was hiding behind this, um, this, this, this hardened cynical strength. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe with all my heart, like the Lord, the Lord graciously said, you know, he, she, she laid it down and finally said, I need help, will you pray for me? Mm -hmm. And the Lord 
did bring Stephen, but I believe with all my heart that if, if, if the Lord did not bring Stephen, that, that I need help, vulnerability, whatever, would have led to a newfound uh, contentment and joy in singleness. Like I, it's, it's, the, it's having the courage to tell the truth about where you are and, and be honest instead of hiding that, that I think is the, is the thing. And where that leads, you know, is, is in the Lord's hands. Um, and another thing with, with Allison's story is, is how I, I, that she was, had the courage to say, you know, that it was a suffering, the singleness is a suffering. Um, but again, I want to make sure everybody understands you've got to die to the categories of, we just got to admit that this is really hard. As if this is the only thing that's really hard. And like, when I get to, when I get to marriage, it won't be. It's, it's, singleness has unique sufferings and unique joys. Mm-hmm. Marriage has unique sufferings and unique joys. She was suffering in singleness. Now, well, would you say that marriage has been peachy? Perfect? Okay. It's been pretty rough. It's been rough. It's Abby and I. It's, it's rough. Stephen, sorry, dude. <laughs> it's 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 uh, singleness is hard and marriage is hard. Singleness has its glory and marriage has its glory. The point is, all things work together for this telos, complete in Christ, our bridegroom. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, all right. Let me. All right, let me just go, I'm going to reward the people who, who went first. What would you say to a single Christian discouraged by lack of vision the family of God has for embracing inviting singles into their homes and into their lives? What would you say to singles who are frustrated by the church's lack of vision of, of integrating you into the life of the church and families? Um, I like that you said single. That's what I said in my talk is if I were talking to the, the married and TCPC, I would say something different. And that would be a, you gotta, you, you've gotta take proactive steps to do this. What would I say to single Christians is, you've gotta take proactive steps. Again, I'm sorry they're not pursuing you. I'm sorry they don't have a vision for it. We need to grow in that. Help us grow in that by demanding that we do it. I, again, I don't know, I don't know, um, I don't know families at our church who would say no to you if you came to them and said, I'd love to be integrated. They might say, they might say, you know, we are already committed to so many singles. Like Abby and I are already in on lives like that. Um, right now, where, where God has, we don't have room for this, but let me connect you with this family. They'd be perfect for you. You would love it. That kind of deal. So that would be my answer. Is there anything y'all to add to that? What would you say to the single woman who went, who who, to the single women who want to be married but aren't getting asked out. Um, I'll let a woman That was that. me. Okay. All right. So you <laughs> answer that, Allison. What would you say? I know to- my parents had this rule, like growing up, you can't date until you're 16. And I thought, oh my goodness, I can't date till I'm 16. There's just going to be a line of guys waiting to ask me out. As soon as I turn 16, I probably have a date on my 16th birthday. And, you know, 16 came and went. <laughs> 26 came and went. I mean, it was just <laughs> 32 16 times two came and went. Um, So that was me. That was me um, not getting asked out. And I think there is kind of a unique struggle for women in that way because you kind of get faced with, and I went through the whole round of, you know, girls can ask guys out too. I asked a guy out on a date when I was in college and it was just a terrible experience. It was mortifying. I just regretted it the whole time. Um, You know, I mean, I I was, you know, knocking on all the doors. I don't know. so it's it's hard. You you there's a there's a sense that um, you know the lady in waiting myth. You know you're just waiting for someone to ask you out. And in a sense, um, 
you don't have the same agency or the same role to play in relationship um, the way that men do. Um, and I would, I mean, I don't know what to say except for that it's really hard. It's really hard to feel like um, you're not being chosen. It feels like every weekend that you spend at home or every weekend that you're out with another girlfriend, you know, out to eat or whatever, that it just feels like they didn't pick you. Someone didn't pick you. And I think that um, that's, that's letting the myth, the myths that Robert talked about, that's letting that define you. I think that um, that that can be really painful when you're believing lies about being unmarried. But I think that um, the more that you allow the truth to shape your perspective of what's going on, and I didn't do this until much, much later in my unmarried life. Um, so I had a lot of really lonely weekends and um, and had a really hard time not being asked out. And then I kind of, you know, got an edge and said, well, I wouldn't have gone out with you if you asked me anyway. So it's a good thing you didn't ask me out because I'm not ask outable, you know, or the answer would have been no. Um, so, I mean, that's the thing. I think that I allowed some edge to be developed. And so I think um, what's difficult is to live in that tension that I talked about, which is where you don't kill your hope. You don't kill your hope to be asked out. You don't, you don't put that to rest because it's too painful to have it unmet or unanswered. Um, and you also don't idolize when it will happen or, you know, dream. I mean, I had relationships with guys in my mind that I had never even met. I was delusional. I would, you know, pick somebody and think they'd be a great husband and I would just construct a whole, oh, it's embarrassing to think. I mean, I kind of, I don't know why I'm sharing this, but I ping pong back and forth, you know, from one end to the other, you know, I did it all. I did it all. And um, I think that what I would say to the women who aren't being asked out is um, live in the tension and don't kill your hope. Um, and don't look to marriage to solve your problems. I mean, the truth is that you have a gift. You have a gift to your, um, to, it's a gift to you, it's a gift to others, it's a gift to God. And um, that tension in and of itself is a hope. And that tension doesn't go away when you get married. I think that this is just something else I just kind of want to throw in there, is that... Um, Marriage isn't the answer in a sense, like we think that marriage is gonna solve our problems because we're not gonna be lonely or it's gonna you know, fulfill some relational desires that you have. Um, and marriage is not the answer to those things, but marriage also isn't the answer to the pain of being unmarried. And I think this was something that I didn't anticipate when I got married was that the pain, I mean, you can tell I'm crying as I talk about this, the pain is still there. The pain is still very close to the surface because it is a suffering. And I think that it's very similar to how it is for women who maybe struggle with infertility which isn't something that I've gone through, but I imagine that it's similar from the friends that I have who have had it. If you struggle with infertility and then you finally have a child, that doesn't just erase the years of infertility. You don't just say, well, that's all okay now. I mean, like that was just, you know, it all, you know, all's well that ends well. You still carry with you that the pain of those years that you couldn't have a child. And you probably enjoy your child in a unique way because you struggled with infertility. And I think the same is true of being unmarried is that when it is a suffering, when God does give you a gift that's a suffering, and I think the gift of marriage is a suffering in its own way, you know, so it's two different kinds of suffering. So whether you get married young or older um, or not at all, you're carrying with you the pain of that suffering and getting married doesn't resolve that. So the, my single years are still, I mean, there's something that I look back on with fondness in some ways, with embarrassment in other ways. Um, but also it's, the pain is still there and it doesn't go away just because I'm married. And I'm glad, I'm glad it doesn't because it keeps me soft. So I guess that's a roundabout way to say um, to the women, especially stay soft. You know, that's, that's a really wonderful part of being a woman is our softness and our femininity. And I would say, um, ask the Lord to help you hold on to that and to allow it to flourish even as you're living in the pain of not being, you know, asked out. Yeah.
Um, I would add, you know, I would say if you're struggling with not, you're, you're, you're a single woman who, want, who wants to be married, but you aren't being asked out. I'm sorry. Uh, you're not being asked out. I would say, of course, I would say everything I just said there, okay? The myths and gifts of singleness, you know, listen to that over and over again and, and, and until, you, until you believe it. But I do, I do want to speak, and, you, and she got there at the end on um, don't let it harden you, stay soft. Um, ladies, I do want you to be freed up. Um, I think, okay, uh, you know I started, and somebody asked a question about this, and we'll talk about it in a second. You know I started by saying kind of the shame and strength extremes would, would maybe keep you from being here or, or the reason why it's hard for you to be here. I would say the shame and strength responses to singleness are, are, are a lot of ways probably the same things that are keeping you from, from femininity. Um, um, either um, a shame of you, who you are, what you look like, whatever, or a strength of it feels weak and vulnerable to, um, to be feminine and, and, and it's easier to be hard and strong and not soft. I would just say, what can you do? Obviously, you can't force guys to be asking you out. You can't, but I, I would not let it, you not being asked out, stop you from just unleashing your beauty mm-hmm. and, and femininity. Mm-hmm. Um, your fashion, um, the glory of who God's made you to be, how beautiful you are. Do not retreat into cynical hardness mm-hmm. and just, like, just flirt be beautiful, you are beautiful, and just let guys see it. Mm-hmm. Go flirt with them. Mm-hmm. And if they don't ask, okay, fine. If they don't ask you out, then come back to the myths and gifts. But, 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 but I, I, I mean this. I really see this. I really see. And, and also, it's, it's, it's the bland, the bland uh, boringness of evangelicalism that's, that's, that's lost the beauty of, of art and, the, and gender and femininity and style and fashion and all that stuff. Don't shame that. It's beautiful and, and it's a God-ordained thing. So, uh, so, so go strut and, and, and uh, I, that's what guys do. I don't know what girls do, but do, we, do y'all strut? What do you, preen. Go preen uh, and, 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 uh, and, and it's okay. It's okay. Um, there's something else I wanted to say, but I, I don't know. Yes, Deb. Yeah. Did everybody hear Deb? She's saying, don't let the fact that you're not being asked out keep you from enjoying life. Go have fun. Go have fun. Yeah, it's good work. Um, all right. Um, Two options were given at the beginning of the talk. Yearning for marriage or private desire. So the shame and strength, yada. Um, what if I'm single and excited for marriage, but I'm fine being single and I'm not spiteful toward marriage. I'm content where I'm at. What do I need to be doing? Congratulations. How young is the person who wrote that, <laughs> that text? No, seriously, congratulations. I, I don't want to shame. This is great. Sounds like you're, you're, you, you, are, you are living well in your singleness and that's beautiful. I would just say everything I just said, live out those gifts of singleness. Just go for it. You, you are, praise the Lord. You are content where God has you. You'd like to be married, but you're okay not being married. Then go after your singleness where God has you with an abandon. Let me see if I can find one here from the men, uh, Andy. 
What have I done? Paul. Oh, there it is. I got it. Uh, I was going to have to get you to fix this. Uh, is, it, is it wrong to long for marriage and fatherhood? If not, when does it become an idol? Is it, long, is it wrong to long to be a father? No. And for marriage? No. When does it become an idol? Mm. Just to touch on something Alison said, that playing out the scenarios of every time you meet a person or this ideal person in your mind, when that dominates your thinking and you captivates your affections. That's the arena that I entered in when I was in seminary, that I was just longing for, so fantasizing about this ideal person who would complete me and give me that perfect thing is when, I think that's when it became an idol because also what it did was it made me really struggle that I was in this position in God's providence and I thought, well, God, I must have this and I'm gonna pursue this at all costs. Um, and idolatry is one of those really hard things because um, we're often so, we're self-deceived. <laughs> and so we, we often don't see it. So you can say, I really want to be a father and, um, or I really want to be a, a, a godly husband. And you talk about it with your mates. You, you, make, you make it the ultimate. And it goes back to the, the early point you made. Mates are friends for you. Yeah. yeah. Not, not like mates, like... No, 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 no. That's right. That's a clue. Yeah, that's a yeah. Here, that would be opposite. That would be like, is that right? Abby's my mate. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, so when you when you make that the end, and not Christ and His glory, and you use holiness or developing yourself as a means for the end of marriage, you've got it the wrong way around. And I suppose when it defines you. That's a, that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. When marriage or your, some Christians talk about, I have unwanted singleness. Mm-hmm. That's a struggle. And in that sort of conversation, when you're listening, you realize it's starting to define them. Mm-hmm. That's the way they see themselves. Mm-hmm. And so you, I think listening and uh, just helping someone to see their heart. Now the hardest thing is we often don't see it. As I said, it was self. We're, we're often so so often self deceived. And through God's providence, through circumstances. There's a, there's a famous saying, though, in Scotland of a preacher, the person who loves you the most will tell you the most truth about you. And so surrounding yourselves with friends, with godly uh, mentors who are married, who can speak truth and love to you, and who can say, listen, <laughs> when you make marriage the ideal, you often have this unrealistic vision of what marriage is. And so... Uh, surrounding yourself with people who can... Yeah, you, go ahead. Can I say something about that? I think that being, I mean, just to take what you're saying together, when you then do family and do life with people in the church, you know, like Robert was saying, get part of a family, it knocks marriage off a pedestal pretty quickly when you see other people's real marriages. It's, it's hard to idolize something up close and personal when you're seeing the good and the bad. And I think that was helpful to me that I had married friends who let me in on the good and the bad of being married, not the bad, but the, the difficulties, the struggles, the challenges. It, it helps you see that there's unique struggles and challenges with 
you know, married and unmarried. Yeah. Um, and I agree that having friends who tell you the truth, I mean, I feel like God can do anything um, and use anything to um, soften you and make you more like his son. But he used friends who told me the truth about myself and said, you're hard, you have an edge. And it was really, really painful to hear that. And I'm just so grateful to God for giving me people in my life who told me that hard truth um, because it made me more like, made me more like Jesus. It, it started to chip away at things that were keeping me from God. Yeah, I mean, anytime anybody answers, or anytime anybody asks me a question, how do I know I've got an issue here? Whether it's the idolatry of marriage or whatever, how do I know if I have an idol? Because idols are good things worshipped wrongly, right? Love too much. That's what an idol is. It's a good thing that you, that you love ultimately. And, and my answer all the time is, is really simple. And uh, I know Marsh, Marsh is with me on this. I, I learned a lot of this by watching how he leads people. Um, it's, it's you, you, honestly, the heart is deceptive above all else. You, you're amazing, aligned yourself, fooling yourself. You, you've got to be surrounded by community that knows you. And, and you probably just need to go ask your friends, do y'all think, do y'all think I got an issue here? Do, do, you think, do you think that I'm like living day in, day out, thinking spouse, 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 spouse? Um, I, I can't tell. It's hard. There are some diagnostic questions. Keller did something like diagnosing your idols, didn't he, Marshall? Like a look at your problem emotions and yeah. stuff like that. I don't know where you'd find that, but uh, okay. There's a there's a, Keller did this helpful idol diagnostic thing. If you email Marshall, he can get that to you. But there's things like that you could do. But ultimately, your friends can tell you. Yeah, Marshall. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do your diagnostic questions and then bring it to your friends and say, do you think this is true? And they'll be like, no, you just lied to yourself. You know that. Um, uh, there was something I wanted to... Oh, the parent one. I wanted to hit that one. What is the best way to approach a Christian parent who is consumed, disappointed, embarrassed by your singleness and unable to encourage you in your singleness? I think that's a huge one for a lot of people. Any of you all want to jump in on that? Like your parents? Yeah, your parents. What do you do with your parents' disappointment? You know, you show up for Christmas and still single and grandparents are like, you date anybody? And, you know, the, the, the family embarrassment by your singleness, disappointment in your singleness. Your parents have an idolatry of you getting married. It's kind of an extension of what you said about the church as a whole, because I think, I mean, that's, I remember the hardest part about, the hardest part of my week as an unmarried person was Sunday morning church. I would just remember being in the lobby frantic to find someone to sit with so I didn't have to walk down the aisle and sit by myself. Now, again, that, that shows my miss misunderstanding of, of being unmarried, but at the same time, there is kind of this prevailing culture in the church, and I assume in many of um, our families, who are church-going families, that being married is the preferred state. So I think it's just way more intense when it's hitting close to home like that, and you've got a parent or family members who are constantly asking you about, are you dating anybody? Is there anything on the, the radar? And um, so I guess, I feel like you kind of spoke to that in terms of what do you do in the church? It's just that on steroids. What would, what would you do? Did you have that mm -hmm. with your mom? Yeah. Discharge my duty to be vulnerable with my mom and open up and say, mom, this is an insecurity. But the hard thing was I always wanted to meet my mom's expectation. And so I found it hard to be vulnerable with her. 
And so maybe to have that honest conversation and say, Mum, you, you, every time you mention it, it's like a finger is on a wound or a button that is hard. I didn't say that often. I, I don't even recall saying that to her. But she was always saying, I'm praying for you. We, we're longing for you to come with a, a godly wife. And, and that only ever intensified and added to the, the shame I felt. Or the, um, so I would say to someone, have the honest conversation and be vulnerable, which in my co- context is really hard to be mm-hmm. vulnerable. Um, with it. So I'd be vulnerable. And if they don't get it, then you have to kind of, I mean, I feel like sometimes that doesn't always work, you know, yeah. I mean, and I agree. I think you start by being vulnerable, but sometimes they still don't get it. And that's when you have to, um, I, I don't know, you stand on truth, you, you, you remind yourself and you ask God to, you know, God is sufficient, even for that wound. I mean, it's just adding wound to wound and Jesus was the most wounded of all. And so you just take it to Jesus and, and, um, he gets it. Yeah. I- I would say, number one, I know that's a real issue, a real issue for a lot of you. Um, and uh, particularly if you're coming from Southern culture, um, certainly a tr- more traditional culture. Um, you know, some, there's some cultures now where more progressive cultures where parents would get upset if you're marrying young. You know, you need to go get your career and get all that stuff and then we can talk marriage. Um, you have to have the courage, again, I would say, this is why I said, this is why I compared it to uh, a Muslim converting or, or uh, somebody come, converting from an atheist and their parents don't get it and they don't understand it and are ashamed by your singleness and it's disgraceful to the family and this Christianity is ruining your prospects, yada, yada. Um, I, I just think you have to have the courage to believe what Jesus said. It's interesting when he said, these are my brothers and sisters, this is, these are my mothers and fathers, these are my brothers and sisters. It's interesting that he said that. I like that he said that in response to, hey, Jesus, your mom and siblings want to talk to you. He didn't just like randomly at some point make this parable of, you all are my family. Hey, Jesus, your mom and your brothers, your, your mom and your brothers are calling for you. What are you talking about? This, this is my family. You can tell them to wait. This is profound. I mean, this is... This is Mary, the, ones whom, the one whom the Catholics venerate. Mary, you can hold off. These are my brothers and sisters. Um, I think that's profound. And I, I, I think at some point you have to have the courage with your parents to say, I understand you're ashamed of this. I understand you don't like this. I'm a Christian. And this is what I'm doing. And if you don't like it, I'm sorry. Um, and then go find a father and mother at Tasty Presbyterian Church, who will have dinner with you, enjoy in your life, and celebrate and delight over it. I'm sorry, you know, it, it sucks, but. All right, um, uh, let me sum up these. Gotten some about like the sexual assault, Me Too stuff, fear of dating, a culture. Um, anything you'd say to that, Allison? How do you date in a culture where there's so much? Uh, you know, the, 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 the hookup culture, the, the Me Too movement, the sexual assault, all that stuff. How do, how do ladies navigate that? Anything you'd say there? <laughs> Fix that. I, don't, I mean, honestly, that's a really hard one for me. I would, I think that I, my response to being single was, I wish that I had flirted more with guys. I kind of shut that part of me down. And so I think that, um, the way I handled it was to not have any sexuality oozing out of me at all. 
um, in dating. And I don't think that that's the way to respond. So I, I honestly, I don't know. Yeah. Um, do you have anything to say to that? To women trying to navigate that culture? I would say something to guys, but... Okay. I, I sound like a broken record here. So, uh, this is the church. I mean, I, the, the, you take vows. That's what I'm saying. There are three relationships you take vows for. Marriage, parenting, and church membership. Ladies, you are not alone. You are not alone in dating. You have, you know, complementarianism. We get made fun of. We're weird. We're crazy. You have a a session of elders. You have pastors who are courageous men who, if anybody were to ever threaten you or harm you or you ever were scared, particularly by somebody who is in the local church where we will do church discipline like that on them, like you have advocates, you have dads, you have strength. And I would just use the church. I would just, I would not, I would never enter into this crazy dating culture without the guidance and mentorship of, of a man that you trust, who knows you're going out on that date. If that can't be your dad, that's fine. Who knows you're going out on that date, who, who, who you could call and text in a moment if you ever felt uncomfortable. You're not alone. Use the church to, to, to protect you in this crazy sexualized world that we're living in. And if something goes wrong, come to the church. Let us help. Um, let, let us do something with it. We, we will fight with you and for you. Um, what were you going to say? You were going to say to men? I would just say in light of all the recent scandals, abuse scandals that in our culture. Oh, okay. The, the question was, so this is good. The question was from a guy asking how to be chivalrous in the Me Too culture Aww. and how to show masculinity. That's what you're about to talk about. Go. Yeah. Every, every woman's like, who texted that? <laughs> All right, go. I think this is a, in our culture today, this is a great opportunity for guys to be countercultural and to be chivalrous and to be kind and caring and thoughtful. But I do want to say this, because of the porn culture, because of the, the sort of... Um, pseudo manhood that our culture sort of idolizes put up this is what a man is this is how you treat a woman this is how you flirt dating all that culture we need to kill that mortify it the locker room chat that even christian guys can indulge in i find one of the hardest places to be in is when i'm in a gym and i'm training with christian guys and non-christian guys and hearing the christian guys engage the non-christian guys as they objectify women and I find that I'm desperate to just call them out on it. And then I sometimes realize these guys are like 10 years older. They just laugh. They just mock. They, they think you're crazy. But we desperately need in the church today godly men who love women and treat them as sisters. Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, says to Timothy, speaking about how we view one another in the church as family, as brothers and sisters, he says, treat all sisters in purity. And he's talking about his relationships in the church. And we desperately need men who, when they look at their, their sisters in Christ, it is with purity and it is with that desire that we're going to love them and care them and be, t- be tender-hearted. One of the things, I think you tweeted this, was when the whole Hollywood Weinstein scandal, you, you gave thanks to God for it, for the exposing of things done in darkness. Mm-hmm. And uh, long may it come, because we need the kingdom of God, the truth to prevail, 
and the gospel to capture those uh, who desperately need to repent? Yes. Uh, my answer to the man who texted that and thank you to that, how can you redeem the Me Too culture? It is on you. It's not on the ladies. Um, I believe in masculinity. I believe in gender. I believe you are the perpetrators in this, in this thing. Um, it is on you. How do you redeem a sexual assault Me Too culture? My answer to that is so easy. Stop looking at porn. If you just stop looking at porn, every click is an amen to sexual assault, is an amen to sexual exploitation, is an amen to sexual trafficking. It is fueling sexual trafficking. Um, every, every click is a, is a um, training. I mean, where do, you think, where do you think men are learning this? Do you, the, and I, in that thing that you're talking about, I said the irony of, of all this being exposed with Hugh Hefner's death. It feels like the king of porn has died and everybody's kind of being released from the shackles that this thing has enslaved us in. And it was interesting in Selma Hayek's um, op-ed to the New York Times where she talked about her relationship with Harvey Weinstein and, and said, um, I, was just, I was just a piece of meat. Where did people learn that? Where, what, what, where, where are men being trained in this? And it is the dark underworld of pornography that is a liturgy training you in the ways of sexual assault. Stop looking at porn. All right, we gotta go. Um, I'll, I'll end with this one. What would you say to singles who desire marriage but also fear it and are hard to it because of growing up with marriage done wrong? Amen. Yeah, I'd, I'd, say, I'd say in our culture, that's, that's probably a lot of you. And I would end with the, my, last, my last thing. You've got, to, you've got to get around new marriages. You've got to get in community. You've got to get in the church. You've got to surround yourself with marriages. You've got to sit at their dinner tables. You've got to watch them put their kids to bed. You've got to surround yourself with the, with the marriages that will help you reimagine it for two reasons. Number one, it will teach you, oh, marriage actually can be beautiful with all of its struggles and all that. Number two, it will make you content in your singleness because you will leave that home exhausted and saying, oh, maybe I don't want that. I'm not kidding you. I, I, like, it is really good birth control, and it is really good, like, okay, I can be okay being in my 20s and not married because, like, that was insane. Their life is insane, and I'm going back and hanging out and going to my apartment and stuff like that. Okay, I'm all right. I'm, I really mean that. So I think it'll train you in, in singleness and how, to, and how to one day be married, and, and it'll give you contentment in singleness. So, Andy, will you pray for us, brother? Lord Jesus, we want to thank you. We want to thank you for what we've discovered and what we've rediscovered and learned about you. And we thank you that you are able to sympathize with us because you've been tempted in every respect as we are, and yet you are without sin. And we praise you that you are our great high priest who understands us and loves us and is committed to us. We thank you that you're our advocate and that you stand before the Father and you present our cases and you've never lost a case. And we thank you, Father, that you are a good Father and you desire good things for us. And we pray that as we've listened and learned about singleness tonight, today, that we would discover our true joy and our true perspective on you and that we'd go from here contemplating you. Father, be with everyone here who's struggling, who's suffering. Father, comfort them with the comfort that you give by your spirit. Father, we pray for an increase in friendship and in fellowship. We pray for homes to be opened to those that we can come alongside and we can see marriage for what it is and we can learn 
and we pray for a spirit of honesty and vulnerability. And we ask all of these things then in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, y'all. Thank you for your attention. And this is officially, well, it's not officially, my sermon tomorrow will be the wrap-up of everything. But thanks for being here and for your turnout. Um, it's really appreciated and I uh, hope you're blessed.